May the Lord's Spirit be upon my lips and in each and every one of our hearts. Amen. Please be seated. I had the privilege of being here a few weeks ago and must say that I'm really delighted to be able to be with you folks again. Um, I know that your leaders here know it, but I'll just say from the outside, this is a wonderful congregation, uh, and you're blessed to have each other and to have your leadership. Thank you for letting me be here. I'm going to uh, start this telling this morning in a way that may seem to be a bit far afield. Uh, those of you who are technology people maybe will delight in some of the things I'm going to say and some of the others will scratch their heads and want to know why it is that I'm saying the things that I'm saying. But I promise when we get to the end, it will connect and it will make sense and, and I believe it will be found meaningful. Many years ago, uh, before the proliferation of personal computers and internet and even um, email and online access, uh, I was a computer programmer. And I was asked once by a large bank in San Francisco to act as an expert witness for a lawsuit that they were going to be bringing against one of the major computer manufacturers. The bank had issued an RFP, that's a request for proposal, specifying what they needed in the way of computing power in order to run a certain facility, banking facility that they had. Of all of the respondents to that request for proposal, one stood out from the others and was awarded the contract. The equipment was installed, the bank installed its computer programs on it, and instead of processing something like a thousand transactions a minute, it was more like 10. The whole system just went mm, like that and crawled. A lot of us have that experience online these days. You run a query, you're hoping for it to be right back, and you can go make breakfast, and then you come back. Well, this was the problem that the bank had. And so they were suing the manufacturer. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> they were suing the manufacturer for having failed to meet the requirements of the proposal. And they asked me to look into the equipment and the programs that ran on it and the request for proposal that they had given uh, and then testify in court in their lawsuit. So I came in and looked into the computer system and the operating system and the programs and I read the request for proposal and I discovered that the error was the banks, not the manufacturers. The estimates that they had made of what would be required in terms of processing power were far too low. And the equipment couldn't do what it was the bank hoped that it could do. So the bank then realized they don't have a lawsuit. Now they're just in deep trouble. 
They're not able to run this part of their business. They've got the equipment there, the programs are running on it, but it's just not working. And so they asked me, can you make it work? Can you do something that will speed up this processing so that we can actually get more work than we're getting done? Maybe not what we originally thought, but can you make it run faster? And I said, well, let me look into it and see. And so I began looking into the way the operating system in those days, in the olden days, you know, when computers were made out of wood. Um, that's a joke, but that's actually what the first ones were made out of, honestly. I began looking at what was called the master control program. Today it's called an operating system. And the way that it did things like store information on the disk. And one of the things that it did was what's called a sequential write. Uh, and what that is, is if you have a sentence that you want to save uh, and you want to be able to go back and get that sentence again, is on the end of it, invisible to the user, you insert two hexadecimal characters, a 0D and a 03, which represent Remember typewriters, carriage return, and line feed. That's what the 0D03 represent. Well, the users never see that, but that's what's there. And so every time a transaction would go out, the computer would have to make a call to the operating system, have to run a routine in the program, and then it would go and write on the disk drive somewhere and put the 0D03 on the end of that and then come back. So that big loop of things that it had to do to store every single record. Well, by looking on the drives and looking at the operating system and sort of going under the covers and, and really looking in detail at how this all worked, what we figured out that we could do is we would just collect a bunch of these transactions. We would insert a 0D03 at the end of each of them, and then we would write the whole block to the drive, and it made it run tens of times faster than it was originally designed. So we understood the operating system well enough to use it in a way that maybe the initial programmers hadn't intended, but it speeded up and it saved the bank's bacon, if you would. Well, in the course of doing that and looking at this operating system, I began to understand how its creator, that is the creator of the master control program, I began to understand how he or she thought. The way they organize things for transactions and categories and arrays and so on. And I actually began to get a sense of this person's thought process. And as I understood that more and more, I was better able to be effective in using this creation that this person or persons have had made. Does this make sense? Yeah? yeah. Tracking? All right. So now we'll jump immediately to seminary, many years later. And the seminary that I was in uh, required that we have an Old Testament course and a New Testament course for our graduation. 
And I, I will say that the Old Testament to me then was of passing interest. Oh, I knew that it was a part of the Bible and we certainly read portions of it, especially those that were quoted in the New Testament. We liked the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Some of us liked the Psalms, others liked the Proverbs. But I would have to admit that it was a passing interest at best. And that had really been the view of those that had trained me on my way up since I was a kid. Our focus is what Jesus and his apostles did. And the Old Testament is background, it's history, but really what we care about is this. It's Jesus and what he did. Now, I think that's important, by the way. But really the attitude toward the Old Testament was a bit dismissive. And so having been raised up in that, it didn't occur to me to think otherwise. But the year that I had to take Old Testament, the regular Old Testament instructor in our seminary had to become the acting dean because of the unexpected and sudden resignation of the regular dean, which meant I had to take Old Testament somewhere else. We were part of a consortium of nine seminaries. And so those of us who had to do that just sort of looked around and picked one at random where there was a course that would satisfy the requirements of our degree. And I picked an Old Testament course taught by a man named Dwayne Christensen, who, of whom I knew nothing when I started the course. I later learned that this was one of the renowned experts on the Old Testament scriptures worldwide, even among Jewish scholars. This man was held in high esteem for his knowledge and expertise and for all of the articles, academic articles, that he had authored over the years. Didn't know that, but that's who I got. And I actually think it was God's intention that the circumstances conspire to get me into that class, in part because of my idea that the Old Testament is of passing interest. For that year, every single time we came to class, all of us in that class, maybe 20, experienced it as what I call a white knuckle plane flight. We held onto our desks so hard that our knuckles turned white because Dr. Christensen opened the scriptures to us and showed us the face of God. That was the emotional impact of what he did. But what he did academically and intellectually with us is he showed us such depth of understanding and connection that we saw these scriptures, what we had called the Old Testament, in an entirely new light. And more than that, as we dug deeper and deeper and deeper into them and understood some of the things that were there, and just as an aside, I will say, in my life, I've studied many languages and many scriptures from many traditions. I've read the Vedas and the Upanishads. I've read the Quran and the Hadith. I've read the Buddhist scriptures and uh, those from Nepal and, and elsewhere. 
And what I can tell you is consistently true across scriptures, across many different religions, is that most of the authors were absolutely brilliant. They stood, they towered above their peers. The, the level of, of intellectual capacity was like that of an Einstein. And, and you see this if you read Aquinas as an example, uh, or Maimonides, uh, or any of the other religious commentators or authors across multiple religious traditions. But what we realized in the course of this was that even though we view scripture as what is in theology called um, that there are two spirits which inspire the writings. One is the Holy Spirit and the other is the spirit of the author. And these two combined produce the scriptures. As we studied more and more deeply and were able to see more and more, we realized that the mind behind these scriptures so far exceeded even the most brilliant authors over the course of centuries, that it towered above them in ways almost incomprehensible. And what we realized is there was a mind behind all of this that was the mind of the creator God. Spoken through human language, spoken through human authors, but yet the depth and breadth of it was so vast that no collection of human authors could ever have produced it. Uh, I'm reminded of the question that I think we all asked when we were sophomores in college. If you had an infinite number of monkeys at an infinite number of keyboards, would they, in an infinite amount of time, produce Shakespeare? Remember those things that boggled our minds in those days? Well, this is sort of the same kind of question, but in reverse. Because what we realized was that no collection of the most brilliant minds could be the author of what it was that we saw there. Uh, we looked at the documentary hypothesis, which some of you are familiar with. We looked at other critical studies, but we came away realizing that we were in the presence of a mind far beyond our own. And I also realized this, that as I immerse myself in it and study it and go to greater and greater depth, I begin to perceive the mind of the one that made it. Much like the master control program on the computer many years before that, when I began to sense how this guy or this woman thinks and how they organize, as we dove more deeply into the scriptures, we began to realize we can begin to understand what it is that God intended in our creation, what he desires from us, and how we are to treat each other. 
And that comes not just from a superficial reading of rules, but from a much more in-depth grasping of the mind of this one who made us. And then we look at Jesus and his incarnation. And you realize if you watch his interaction, both with regular folks in his teaching and his healings, in his own behavior, the way he conducted himself, but also as he contests scriptural experts of the day who with the greatest logic summoned together, and just as an aside, largely Greek syllogisms that allowed them to get to certain conclusions about what they were reading, and then when they contested with Jesus, it was almost as if he opened a window and they saw something they'd never seen before that was present in the scriptures about which they had commented so brilliantly for so many years. And that was really disconcerting for them. It set them back on their heels because here was an encounter, if you would, with the living God saying, no, this is what I expected, not that. And so if I am able in really understanding a master control program to become a more effective programmer and to make the programs work better than they did by understanding how it is that the one who organized the structure created it and why, then surely I can apply that also to scripture and to my life in Christ. And the reason this is important is first because it will make me more effective. The greater my understanding of the scripture and of our creator, the more effective I will be as a human being and the more clearly I will be guided about my behavior. But also because, to be frank, we live in a culture now rife with violence rife with condescension, rife with sarcasm, dismissing those who don't agree with us. If I don't approve your anthropology, then you claim that I hate you. We become offended almost instantly at anything which isn't quite exactly where it is that I see the world. And that's, the whole culture is that way, all across the board. And I suspect, to be honest, that most cultures have been that way over the course of history. And so the challenge for us, if we read our scripture closely, is do I go along with the mind of the culture in which I am immersed? Or do I instead immerse myself in the mind of God and of his revelation to us and use that to determine the words that come from my mouth, my attitudes toward other human beings, my behavior in this world. 
and I will offer this caution, this warning as well. If you do that, you can expect to be condescended to. You can expect to be the butt of jokes and the target of sarcasm because you're not doing what it is that the culture wants you to do. You're doing what it is that your creator and your savior want you to do. Now, I'm not saying get up on a religious high horse and look at ourselves as the holy looking at the unwashed. We're all unwashed in that sense. We're all sinners in that sense. And really, if we understand the scriptures, what we're called to do is acknowledge our sinfulness, repent of it, ask for forgiveness. And then in prayer and by study of the revealed word to basically immerse ourselves in the mind and the heart of the creator and ask for guidance in our relations with others around us. And even to suggest in the face of dismissive responses that maybe these scriptures are something that the culture itself needs to reconsider rather than just brushing them aside as yet another superstition who needs those anymore. Can we be the loving and unified creatures that Jesus calls us to be and that the creator God made us to be? Can we so immerse ourselves in who he is and in his words that we can become more effective in living the life of believers in a troubled and violent world? May we all take the words that our creator has given us and our savior has demonstrated to us, may we all take them more seriously than we ever have to this point. And may we be given the grace to love a world desperately in need of a savior. Amen.